0: But I'll say what can be helpful to listeners and what increases your luck is basically being as helpful as possible, being overjoyed when you can be helpful to someone that that needs it. Because if I were to dissect what allowed, what created the scenario where the founder of the company, the, probably the best performing company in our batch is asking me to invest, what allowed for that was a unique perspective from him. He wanted um, to have a few founders invest. But then also all 90 days of of Y Combinator was just, it was so communal, at least for me. And
1: it was like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Today we had another fantastic guest on our 1947 VC podcast, James Beshara. James is a founder, investor, and encourager. He has started a few startups, sold one to Airbnb, and has invested in a few multi-billion dollar companies in his career. His written angel checks into companies like Gusto, Clubhouse, Bolt, Mercury, OpenAI, 50 plus companies. His portfolio companies have a market cap of about 50 billion dollars. We covered a wide range of topics. How did he get into angel investing? What led him to start a fund eventually? We spoke about portfolio construction, fund construction. How does he source deals, pick deals, and win deals? What are his biggest wins and misses? And what were the biggest learnings from them? What's his relationship with India? Who is he outside of work and much more? Now I bring you James Bashar. James, welcome to the show.
0: Shiva, thank you for having me, buddy. So good to see you again. Last time I saw you, we were walking on the streets of Mumbai and and now uh, seeing you again with your new podcast. It's I'm excited to be a part of it.
1: I'm looking forward to it, James. And uh, man, it was uh, so much fun uh, hanging out with you in Mumbai. And uh, a good starting point, James, could be how did you first get into investing and what led you to start a fund? What was the thought process like?
0: I did it the right way, which was, which is not the, wor- I don't do many things the right way, but this, I don't think it's an accident that, uh, that I somehow seem to have a knack for investing and and ended up doing it the, the right way. At the same time, it's, I mean, they're, they're so the strategy and the execution are so tied together, right? So I have built startups deliberately, sometimes the wrong way where you sit down on a couch, just thinking, what's the biggest thing I could come up with? just total blind ambition. Investing was total accident. And that's how you know it's, uh, at least that's how I know, okay, then maybe it's a little more, a little bit more substantial because it wasn't blind ambition. It was friends asking me to advise and invest in their companies. And, and I remember the, so the first check I ever wrote was into a payroll company called Gusto. And they were in our bachelor Y Combinator. And they asked me to, um, to advise them and and said, you know, you should invest as well. And I was like, ah, guys, I'm really a founder. We were in the same batch. You know, I just felt like we both were starting the race at the same time. It's like, no, I'm really a founder, not an investor. And Josh, the CEO, said, you really should. I think you should invest um, because... If you're putting all of your eggs in your own startup, then it's actually a pretty bad portfolio construction. And I was like, "What is con- for portfolio construction?" Looked it up, and and it's it's so funny because investors constantly tell founders, "Don't invest, stay hyper focused on your own startup." That's what the the best investors in Silicon Valley were telling me. That at the mm-hmm. same time, these are the people that know that know the most about portfolio construction in the world. Yet I was hearing about it from a founder and, uh, and so, uh, I looked up what that was and realized, yeah, having a portfolio where you have all of your eggs in one basket, uh, is in a startup itself is already so risky. It's a, it's pretty poor portfolio theory, portfolio management. So then, um, I thought about it. I had 24 K in, in my bank, uh, in my bank account, wrote a check for 20 K into Gusto. Actually, I don't even know what that's worth now, but they ended up becoming a mega decacorn corn and, um, and after within like a year, I was like, okay, I've got a little house money to yeah. write maybe another few small checks, maybe two or three more, and then uh, three out of my first four ended up being unicorns, and and so that was ten years ago, and uh, and then because three out of the first four were pretty decent, I just thought, all right, I might as well, I might as well do this a little more and a little more and a little more, and then I ended up selling our company. We sold our company to to Airbnb. And at Airbnb, after being a founder, working 80 hours a week, I was working maybe forty, fifty, and I had a little bit extra time. No kids at the time. And apologies if you hear one of my three daughters uh, yelling uh, or screaming in the background. Got three, three kids under five. That extra time, I, I just loved it. Leaned into it more. And then, what was it about? I think it was about four years ago. Decided to do it full time.
1: Man, that's wild. You know, you you had what, 24K in your bank and you ended up doing 20K into Gusto. What was that one reason like that sort of like, you know, made you make such a big and risky bet at the same time, uh, James?
0: It honestly was, you know, so what's interesting is people think it's, and I I think you, you have the right appreciation and the right perspective for it, but I think to some people hearing it, it sounds risky. But Josh truly had. The, if you really think about it from first principles, he had the right perspective. It was risky to put everything into my own startup, and in being right next to founders, essentially a really unique slipstream to invest. Maybe the most unique out there. Um, y Combinator. After ninety days of getting to know different founders, different startups, it was uh, it was ki- It was actually really really smart very rational. And I think that the rationale that he imparted just kind of sunk in after a day of thinking about it, of, of me being like, oh shit, he's right. I am way over-indexed in my own startup and I'm going to be helping them anyhow. It's not like it's a dilution of focus because that's the beauty of Silicon Valley and 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 why Combinator is you're really encouraged to help each other. And so it's like, there's no dilution of focus. There's, I guess the downside is the financial side of things, but at the time, it was easier for me to invest in his startup than to try to figure out how to get like a brokerage account
1: yeah.
0: and and buy stocks. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, startups are kind of the thing, asset class I, I know the best. I might as well invest in this asset class I know well and really diversify from my over-indexed position in, into my own company.
1: Got it. Uh, good for you, my friend. And uh, no. <laughs> well, no, it's... <laughs> The, I, and
0: then it, yeah, I I should triple underscore this. I got so lucky and that is, I, that is, I got so, so lucky that that just happened to be the first investment, but I'll say what can be helpful to listeners and what increases your luck is basically being as helpful as possible, being overjoyed when you can be helpful to someone that that needs it. Because if I were to dissect what allowed, what created the scenario where the founder of the company, the, probably the best performing company in our batch is asking me to invest, what allowed for that was a unique perspective from him. He wanted um, to have a few founders invest, but then also um, all 90 days of, of Y Combinator was just, it was, it was so communal, at least for me. And I was like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help?
1: Love it. Love, love the framework here, James. Uh, with this, you, know, you were talking about portfolio construction and they say that pick a portfolio construction strategy that maximizes your edge. Uh, how did you, uh, when you were doing the fund, how did you decide what fund size it should be? Uh, check sizes that you should be writing stages that you will be, you should be investing in?
0: It honestly goes to, starts with the same advice I give to anyone that's thinking about investing in startups is, uh, and it's typically individuals where I just, I tell them that the starting point of a portfolio theory is carve out however much you feel like you can invest in and want to invest in startups in an amount that you're okay with never seeing again. So this is on the angel front and then I'll get to the fund front. Um, that you say, okay, I'm willing to put 10% into the super risky speculative maybe 15% because of what i'm about to say but you know a small percentage into a, a speculative asset class then uh, the reason it could be maybe 15% instead of you know 5 or something is because within that 15% let's say it's 100k divide that into 10 investments and the ideal portfolio the ideal is that you have a third that goes to zero and i'm sure people have talked about this on the podcast with you but a third goes to zero a third will be a two one to three X. And then a yep. third, if you're lucky, can be a seven to 10 or north of a 10X return. And that can all come back and net you, you know, a five X fund. Um, the math is pretty straightforward, but you're going to lose a few. And, you um, know, obviously you're going to have an outlier. Hopefully you have one that's 27X or it crushes it with 81X. And that math then allows for you to have um, a really nice, a really nice upside to your capital, but not uh, the worst case scenario is is friends of mine that invest in like two startups. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's terrible approach to the riskiest asset class. So on the fund side of things, it was just basically an extension of that. The best funds, I mean, the best I can do is still probably gonna have a third that go to zero, a third that go to maybe one to three X, and then it's gonna be driven by uh, outsized returns. And that outsized returns, I've never read a book on this stuff. I've never, so I'm not going to know the terminology, uh, but I know uh, essentially three things when it comes to um, investing. The first is picking the deal is nothing compared to winning the deal. Finding a company that's growing 37% month over month for six months, anyone can say it's a great investment, but can you win the deal? And uh, I'm happy to come back to, to that point. Second is for startup investing, because it's so risky, you basically have to have total risk on approach with each investment to where i just say everything has to be at least 20x ideally 50x because and it's and it's somewhat um, paradoxical if if you have maybe a really stable bet that could be 4x or 5x it's actually a terrible choice in your portfolio because you have to offset the fact that so many are going to go to zero even the thing that seems stable at 4x or 5x as we've seen in growth stage investing right now that's not necessarily stable And, uh, in addition, you really, you can't have your, you know, third bucket sit at five X, six X, seven X, you really need one that hits 21 X or 37 X. And, um, and to get that, you got to make a lot of bets in that space, maybe for a fund, maybe 20 bets. Um, so the second thing is you just have to have risk on with every investment. That's the only way to actually have risk off, um, that's the only way to have a balanced portfolio is you take the same approach with each um, Mm -hmm. with each investment and that's somewhat paradoxical and then the third thing is you actually have to provide value because um, of this the daisy chain effect of providing value the best founders tend to recommend great investors to other amazing founders and if you get in that first, thing, you know that you check that first box of you win the deal, but then you're not actually providing value, then you just won't be top of mind when the founder of uh, X chats with the founder of Y, and founder of Y is like, oh, these are my two favorite investors that you need to okay. chat with. So happy to go into depth with those three, but uh, but that's um, that's and that first one is is by far the most important. Is picking them is actually quite easy. It's winning them that's pretty hard.
1: Hmm got it i think it's a very great point uh, you know for our next uh, topic which is you know when you are fundraising uh, for your first fund or even the you know second third it's really like you're pitching uh, you know to lps as a seed stage uh, uh, company and 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 you need to show you know what differentiates you from other existing investors already which is you know how do you have access to these competitive deals, because these competitive deals founders don't really need capital, because there's so much capital chasing them. Uh, for you, uh, maybe you can talk about you know how do you build that access, uh, that brand, and secondly, you know when you were fundraising, uh, you know what was your thought process, what sort of uh, LPs uh, that you were seeking for, and and what are like the top you know you would say uh, factors. That triggers LPs to invest in fund managers. It is
0: similar to seed investing um, and, and seed fundraising, or maybe it's actually more a little more similar as the funds get larger. And I, I, it's primarily my capital, so my funds. I, as we noted just before we, you know, hit record, this might not be that relevant to too many listeners because um, it's been a pretty anomalous route to investing. Like I said, it was almost reluctant. And then it was, let's say seven years, six years before I ever thought about taking on anyone else's, um, I just never thought about raising a fund. Um, so, but it it is, it is, it does map to seed stage or series a fundraising and that the fundraising process becomes really simple if the fundamentals are really awesome. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to outsmart or get around uh, the fundamentals then it could be three times the work four times the work or uh, said another way if you're trying to be expedient i want to raise a 10 million dollar fund and i've only made four investments seven investments all in the last 12 months if you you can think it's being expedient but then it ends up being really difficult Um, whereas if you've been investing for six years with your own capital and small checks you have proof points then that $10 million fund, you might raise that in, in 90 days, 60 days, 30 days.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so for, I can only speak to my experience in, in this, uh, when I've expanded from my own capital to quite literally my dad, my brother, Apoorva um, Mehta, the founder of Instacart. Um, when I've expanded it to friends and, and family that wanted to invest alongside me, uh, when you know, they just started here like startups are a great asset class and and 2017 2018 it was pretty simple because I already had uh, maybe five unicorns at that point six or six unicorns mm-hmm. I by the way I I've never calculated my IRR I've never thought about the unicorns except um, when when uh, uh, when I was writing my Twitter bio, I was like, okay, I'll try to understand at least like what's the market cap of my seed stage in investments. And, and that's the only time I've ever personally done the math. The only other time that the math has been done is by my lawyer for the deck um, to find out what is that IRR been over time for the deck. But part of that is uh, is quite strategic in that it's just you never know what these things are. As we're seeing in the last 12 months, we don't know what these companies yeah. are worth, are going to be worth. Um, a lot of times a brand can be ahead of the valuation or the valuation can be ahead of the brand. And, and it's just, uh, it's, I think, unhealthy to ever do the math on like, this is what I've got. Um, and so I just never thought about performance uh, for those first six years. It was all like the healthy things of just how do I be really helpful? I don't need this to become anything. It's very, um, I, I, I like to say that I, I have no results orientation in my investing. Maybe that's my daily study of Vedanta, but it is, um, and it's very Gita. I don't think about the results and I've never calculated the, the kind of like, what will I get out of this? It's just each day, here are three things that I'm decent at. I'm not good at any, at many, many, many things within the startup realm, but helping founders fundraise, which I've raised about 100 million for my own ventures, um, helping founders with growth, um, especially consumer growth, and then third is founder psychology. Um, just it, all of the ups, all of the downs, I've seen them all, and it's such a brutal, brutal kick to the brain every day to try to build a company because the world. Is constantly not only telling you no, but wanting to kick your ass as a founder. It's so hard that um, that I love to help on the psychological side. Just being that phone call at eleven p.m. when shit is hitting the fan and and you need to chat with someone. So I tell founders these are the three areas that I've honed in on to to be helpful in, um, and I'm probably not going to be that that great or helpful in other things. And that's all I focus on is getting better and better at those three things. Um, and that's, you know, it's on the founder side of it. So the the deck kind of like, I don't know, every once in a while, just calculate, put the deck together, but that's 0.5% of my thought process of of, um, LPs and their dynamics and fundraise and just all of those aspects. 99.5% of my thought is on founders being super helpful, um, getting really good at those three areas. Then what is really nice is you lift your head up to do that other side, the LP side, it ends up being really straightforward and simple
1: got it so it seems like for you you had already created a solid product for lps meaning you know you had a great great track record you had a great reputation you had built a brand and now you know you were getting inbounds from your friends and other folks hey can we invest alongside you uh and james with this you know would love for you to kind of walk us through you know how do you source deals and uh, winning you said you know you have these three specific uh, value ads which is you know uh, fundraising growth and uh, founder psychology maybe we can talk about your uh, you know few of the big wins uh, one you already uh, mentioned gusto and would love you know the other two that you mentioned and then also some of the deals that you ended up passing but you know, down the road, they became massive companies. And what were the biggest learnings for you from those misses?
0: Well, fortunately, Shiva, I've never had a, no, I'm just kidding. I've had so many misses, <laughs> so many misses. Um, and, and it's, it seems to be like, I have to just keep learning the same mistake over and over again. Um, so happy to chat about that. The, um, some of the, the companies that have done well, uh, to date. And, and just sometimes, like I said, the valuation ahead of the brand or the brands ahead of the valuation. It's some of my favorite companies just are profitable on a series A and they've never had, you know, a markup, um, since the series A. And, and I love those, even if the valuation seems to be, you know, static at X valuation, but, um, some of the other early wins were Mercury, Augusto, Mercury, um, Bolt, Uh, I was the first check into clubhouse, um, the, there's a, a social calendaring app called IRL, um, that, uh, is, is another unicorn and, and there's a handful of, of others that have these great valuations. Um, there's a healthcare app called next health, uh, that is phenomenal. Infrastructure company, um, really amazing founder, Alameen. And and, uh, and then there's uh, a few in the healthcare space, uh, within that space, Cerebral, um, which one of the fastest companies to to uh, $7 billion valuation, um, started at the beginning of COVID and just two years later, it's valued at $7 billion. So uh, really, really steep climb and uh and a handful of of companies that i'm so ex- i'm so proud to be a part of but are run so efficiently and profitably like i said that they just have never had a markup since um you know a uh, series a or series b but the world's gonna know kind of who they are over time uh yeah. i have a feeling but um, uh, but yeah and i'm happy to go into mistakes one of them actually i even mentioned uh mercury which um I got to invest, but I'm happy to tell you the mistake that I seem to have to learn over and over again.
1: Yeah. Would love to, uh, James.
0: Okay. So um, with Mercury, I wrote a small check of of 5K. It was one of my first investments and Mercury is an online bank here in the US for startups. And I'm I'm so thankful and lucky, I feel so lucky that I invested because of all of the stuff with SVB recently. I just happened to have been an investor in a competitor. So I was already telling all of my portfolio companies to use Mercury and was using it myself. But the um, when Ahmad first told me the idea, we were getting lunch. He had already sold the company before, but I always think about this as, as just the, the lesson in investing. He was going after a space within FinTech that I knew a little bit about. I had been building a payments company and I had been... I felt like I'd gotten burned in that space. And so I have this baggage of like, this is so hard. And two, I thought, I thought the idea, which is so dumb to say out loud. I thought the idea was too big to build the online bank for startups. I just thought like, that's almost too like Stripe being like, we're just, we're going to build better payments infrastructure than PayPal. And I think within the startup space, we can get too caught up into, into overthinking things and thinking like, no, there needs to be a network effect and there needs to be two or three competitive advantages built in. And, and why can't so I, – I want to make sure no one else could do this. And uh, the truth is a really, really powerful founder or co-founders uh, going after a really big space, even if their number – and this is Elad Gill taught me this – Even if they're number sixteen going after the space, you'd rather invest in a space that is a known quantity, is known to be massive, with two really powerful um, co-founders that are so they are so committed to building a better experience than anything that exists. Um, And it might feel like they're like just trying to boil the ocean for eighteen months, for twenty-four months. But if they have the right mentality. And you know that there should be a better experience. Then it's better to invest in something like a – and this was Elad's example. He's one of the best investors of all time. He said, uh, I'd rather invest in a chat app than a – his example – than a robotics app or than a robotics company. Yeah, Yeah, robotics feels like it's new and it's, it's on its way. But the creation of new spaces is actually so exceptionally rare. And the creation of massive companies in spaces that are massive is actually that is the model. Google, you know, was the 16th search engine. Um, Facebook was the 12th different social network. But it's uh, but you you actually find really big spaces and and all star founders going after them, and it's a better bet than kind of something that's brand new and cool and hip. Um, but uh, and you think it's special because no one's building in it. Um, sometimes you overthink it and I overthought it with Ahmad I was like I'll write a 5k check but I'm not gonna you know back up the truck and I'm not gonna write you know 50k or or 100k check and I look back and I'm like man the baggage uh, in my own head about that space and then also um, thinking the idea was too big I sound like an idiot uh, to myself to say that out loud because that's the whole point in the startup game
1: got it man Uh Imagine someone uh, like James, who has one of the best uh, track records in angel investing. I know he's still learning. I guess you know this asset classes just every day, every every month. I
0: constantly think, I say this all the time, that I don't know what I'm doing. Um, It's (laughs) like I when you were saying, just using some terminology within investing um, with other investors, I'm like, I don't know what that is. And I need to go figure it out. Um, but I constantly don't know, feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And and, um, and some, t- I think maybe around year seven or year eight, I was like, oh, okay, I'm doing this differently than other people. And that's a good thing. But in the beginning, I was going so slow. I probably wrote maybe five checks in the first three or four years. I was going so slow that I uh, didn't think about it. Then maybe year four or five or six, I was like, I should probably think about how to do this. And a lot of the approaches that I would read about didn't didn't make sense to me. The other mistake, the other biggest mistake, I'll, I'll tell you real quick is a company called Mighty. Uh, Sohail from Mixpanel, founder of a, a massively successful company already, similar to Ahmad. He called me for advice on the fundraise, said he was thinking about fundraising. And um, and he told me the idea. I was like, wow, that's a, pr- that's a really cool idea. Um, and two weeks later, I thought about it, I think of, you know, it's pretty cool. Two weeks later, I emailed him and said, hey man, whenever you do the round, I'd love to invest. And he emailed me back He goes, oh man, we already closed the round. It's oversubscribed. And what I learned there was for a really hot deal, you, the leverage from being on one side of the table um, to leverage going to the other side of the table can change so fast that it makes, it makes no rational sense. The best deals, the leverage can change. You can go from getting advice or giving advice on how to fundraise to five days later and the round is already done because Max Lebchen just wrote the entire check and then a few other people wrote checks and I didn't get to get into that deal. So uh, that one was one that I loved, loved the founder. I have five different things that I think about when I make an investment. and And it was five out of five for all of them. Um, it's founders, product, uh, growth, understanding of their growth, and then space, how big is the space? And I rank them one to five. And if it's averages over four, uh, then I'll write a check. And it was five. And yet I missed the window because the leverage shifted so fast. So fast. And I thought I had time.
1: Got it. James, with this, you know, we're gonna talk about India. You know, you've yes. been spending time in India And you've been investing. What's your relationship with India?
0: Oh, my God. Well, it's still, uh, it's nascent. But uh, the, well, in terms of love and admiration for India, um, every morning I wake up at at 5 a.m. and I study Advaita Vedanta. Um, For 10 years, I've been studying Eastern philosophy. And six years ago, I wanted to go to the heart, the source of all Eastern philosophy, which your amazing part of the world uh, gave us uh, the Vedas 5,000 over 5,000 years ago. And that's just so uh, this is the oldest known in terms of continuous study, it's the oldest philosophy in the world. Um, the end of the Vedas Vedanta. So that started about six years ago and I never, it didn't have much of a relationship to the investing side of startup side. It was just like, whoa, well, this feels true. And what's, what is very interesting about it is you have like you have people like Elon Musk saying that we're living in a simulation, which is very vedantic. You have some like uh, Sam Altman uh, who last year tweeted um, what's something that did you did you see this tweet where he said uh, "What's something you believe that no one else believes and uh, no one around you very few people around you believe?" And he said "I'll go first mine is uh, I think the quote was, uh, I believe that unequivocally." Atman is Brahman, which is one Hmm. of the the great aphorisms from the the Vedas. And that's the, you know, he's the CEO of OpenAI, saying Atman is Brahman. Um, I think in a world, especially in the startup realm, but really everything right now, in a world that is getting weirder, faster, Shiva, Shiva the destroyer, in a world that is getting weirder, faster, I think there's going to be this growing hunger for what, isn't changing. What if everything else is changing so fast, so rapidly, and that rate of change is increasing? I think there's going to be a hunger for what is timeless. And uh, for me, the wisdom in the Vedas just felt so grounding, so timeless. And every morning, it is my grounding wire before I, you know, get started in the day with running different companies and and uh, venture funds. So that was the beginning of my relationship, and then I started to. Go to. I started studying with an ashram, uh, Vedanta Academy. Um, started doing it online, uh, vedantaacademy.org, dot which is just so start. It's so technological. It's amazing. Basically, I have an ashram in my pocket that I listen to here from, you know, and by the beach in Los Angeles um, just yeah. each morning. And that uh, then led to me traveling to to the ashram in person. And and as I was traveling there, I was like, well, I might as well get to know the startups and in, uh, in India while I'm there. And, and that ended up uh, leading to a handful of investments. And then discovery of, of good Lord, there's such, I think over the next decade, there's going to be, I mean, I'm starting to orient um, the majority of my investing to India uh, because of just the asymmetry of how big the opportunity is. And, and you and I have chatted about this a number of times of just, it feels like it's where the U.S. was 10 years ago. And uh, the U.S. is more obvious. And once something's obvious, the yield is gone. And in India for startup investing, it's it seems very obvious to me, but not too obvious to uh, at least a lot of the cannons with massive amounts of capital behind them here in, in Silicon Valley and in uh, California that I love it. I love that they're like, I don't know, we're, we're getting away from emerging markets. We're going to stay in the U.S. I'm like, okay, well, that's just going to be better returns for for uh, an investor like myself. So investors that are taking specifically India really seriously. I mean, it's the fifth biggest economy. Purchasing power parity it's the third biggest. Um, you have things like UPI uh, that, that honestly, they leapfrog even what we have in the US uh, yeah. that can allow for all kinds of really cool monetization with microtransactions that just aren't, that's still not possible here in the US because of credit card transaction fees. So yeah, I can spend, this podcast would become four <laughs> hours long if I talked about uh, my love of India from the investing side and, and philosophical side.
1: Yeah, no, I can uh, always sense it whenever I'm chatting with you, how excited you are about India. I think that was how we got connected initially. And uh, no, James, I uh, totally agree with you there. And I'm excited that you're you know deploying or allocating your capital, majority of the capital to India uh it's it's definitely the next two dec- decades or more it's just gonna be uh it will be compounding very very fast and then uh, you know there's this guy uh behind me he's been you know bugging me knocking me his name is alfonso uh is my co-pilot and nice. he wants to get in james and- i thought you're gonna
0: say this hanuman huh, but okay i Alfon- i like alfonso
1: okay <laughs> All Right. Uh, That's what he told me. His name is Alfonso when I first met him. I don't know, maybe he has multiple names. Uh, We'll see. But James is asking if money and attention are not needed anymore. Typically, you know, just in our DNA, human nature that we seek money, we seek attention, fame. That's done. Like you already have all those things. What would you work on? Myself.
0: Hands down. Yeah. And uh, that, um, yeah, the, the, the Gita is pretty clear. There are five ways to help those around you. And, you know, the first is money. You see someone needs money, you can give them money. Second is uh, you can give them your physical presence, you can help them, you know, um, cross the street. You can give your emotional help, um, you can share wisdom. You can share your advice uh, as a as a startup founder. That's you know maybe f- five, ten years, fifteen years ahead. Um, that's helpful. But the most important work we do for others is the work we do on ourselves. And I think that ties to that first question we talked about of, of investing. The easiest way, and it's in some ways, it also can feel like the hardest way but the easiest way to become a, a great investor or to at least have a track record that makes you seem like a great investor is by actually being super helpful. And you can only be super helpful. It can't be like marketing speak. It can't be like, oh, I got the deal, but then I wasn't that helpful. Then you have the founder Augusta that's not introducing you to anyone else. Um, but if you, if you actually can be really helpful um, through working on yourself through knowing I mean, just like not having an expedient results orientation towards startup investing because it is such a long race. Um, but if you can disconnect from that impatience and and you really and you're not trying to be transactional with relationships, you're really working on where you can be helpful. Understanding your humili- the humility and cultivating like this is what I can be good at. This is what I am good at. These other areas I'm not good at. Those those different things. Um, that's the work we do on ourselves and then and then you just wake up and there's a thousand flowers that have bloomed around you um because you've made yourself a reservoir so um i would just keep doing that and then probably more flowers would bloom would bloom around me but i wouldn't uh, really ex- i wouldn't exactly know how or why um it would just be i don't know similar to josh founders would just knock on the door and say hey will you invest
1: God, I love it, and uh, and James, you know, we know you uh, as a tech founder investor. What do your friends know you for?
0: Who are you outside of work? Oh, that's an interesting question. These are great questions. Um, Alphonse friends is know. Smart. Yeah, Alfonso is very it's smart. Yeah. Well, then, then he and I would get along and maybe that's why we get along to Shiva. Uh, I really love, I really love personal relationships. I really love, um, I really love to laugh and I'm pretty I'm decently funny. And, and so, yeah, my friends know me as kind of goofy, silly, um, fun, kind of in the moment type of person that can maybe switch from cracking some joke and laughing and switch five seconds later to, to maybe some observation of, of the philosophical sort. So, um, a friend described me that way, uh, on my birthday, my wife organized a surprise birthday and, and a friend described me that way, the birthday. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that's a really, I, I, I dig that, um, description of the ability to go from the mundane, silly fun to, uh, the, uh, philosophical.
1: So maybe that's that's how they describe me. Got it. And uh, and James, what are you most obsessed about lately and what's draining you?
0: Oh, that dude. Ah. Jim, that's, that's the question. That is yep. I ask I ask well, I want to ask you as a fellow podcast host, I want to ask you as someone that's building a fund and just tip of the spear creating like when you sent me your your deck, it was just so clear you were not only way ahead of everyone, but painfully so. Like I've gotta to have to, I'm gonna to have to convince a lot of people that this is this is happening, which is the best place to be. You don't wanna like I said, you don't wanna be somewhere where it's obvious because all of the yield really is gone. But um what's the most exciting thing? The thing I ask people is what's the most exciting thing in your head right now, this morning, your time, and and then what's
1: the most draining thing?
0: So I wanna ask you
1: yeah. So, you know, I'll start with the the first one, which is I was super, super excited to have you on the pod and the overall series. Super, super excited. I've been thinking about this for months now, a few months, and I'm so glad that we got this done. Uh, secondly, I'm going to go hit the gym. Uh, I'm excited about that nice. as well. Right after this, I'm, I'm pumped. And, you know, what's Currently, there's nothing that's draining me, but there was, there were a few things that were, you know, draining me, I would say a few months back, which was mostly around it's a little philosophical, you know, which is, one is, how do you find happiness? You know, typically, uh, you'll find happiness, if let's say you're seeking something, you get it, and you'll be happy but that happiness will stay for a little bit not for too long because then you know the nature kicks in and then you go you'll be uh, craving for something else there's another way to get happy is you know it's a stoic philosophy which is you know the life that you're living is actually dream uh, life to many many people around you you can sort of like walk down down the stairs and you can see people. Uh, you know, uh, meaning it'll it'll help you realize that how lucky you are. Uh, So that, you know, I was in that uh, hedonic treadmill, which is let me get this. uh, And now I got this, let's get that. So I was not enjoying the things that I already have. Uh, So that's something I've started practicing uh, that was draining me. But now I'm excited to hear from you, James. Well, that's,
0: yeah, it's so interesting um, that there's been like, like we were saying earlier, this growing interest around philosophical views—basically, just what's a healthy perspective—that's you know, it's, it doesn't need to be high uh and big words. It can just be what's a healthy perspective, and what are some healthy perspectives people have had over time. And the same way you have a physical diet, uh, maybe a mental diet is uh, is is going to become more and more of a thing. the um, The most exciting thing is. I mean, the most, ex- the thing that you, I guess you asked obsessed about, what's the thing I'm mostly obsessed about? Honestly, it's, it's between, you know, it's the hours before the sun comes up and philosophical study, um, are the most important hours of my day and everything else just doesn't as, uh, as Swami Parthasartha, the teacher, the founder of the ashram will say, I mean, just nothing else matters outside of those hours. Cause like I said, if you become a reservoir, then life is going to come to you, um, so that's what I continually just am awed by. And, and it, it's continually unfolding in uh, fascination and brilliance uh, and usefulness. And then um, and then, kind of more pragmatically, uh, AI and, and ChatGPT is just – everybody's talking about it, but everybody's talking about it for good reason. It seems to be – I mean, my wife, who's an artist, not technical at all, she's on ChatGPT probably – Forty-five minutes a day, an hour a day. So that blows me away. Um, and and that UX of a chat is just so beautiful. We've been waiting for that. We, people have made attempts for decades in this uh, in this area, and now it actually feels real. So that is the really exciting thing from an investor perspective, and and tech lover. And uh, the draining thing, you know, I feel for founders. That building a company right now, and I run, a, I run two companies, a, ma- uh, a beverage called Magic Mind, which is available. Mm-hmm. Actually, as of a few weeks ago, it was available in India now. Um, so uh, Magic Mind and then a salad dressing company called Side Dish. They're really fun side projects, and we've, I've hired teams to, to help really build those out. But uh, Basically, just there's no good reason that we're all drinking coffee each, each morning. Um, when nature and science give us so more than that, so much more than that. And side dishes, just how can we make healthy, really tasty? Um, and those are, they fall in the same bucket. It's like building a company right now is it's on like crazy, extreme hard mode where you have funding environments completely shift on you change. You have the people with the microphones telling you one thing, 12 months ago, the VCs that have the microphones telling you one thing, 12 months ago giving you money, joining your board, telling you it even louder, uh, straighten your ear. Then it switches and they make, you know, their management fees regardless. And, um, and they're living a portfolio distributed lifestyle and your business is just completely flipped up upside down. You've had to, you know, reduce force and and make layoffs. Your uh, identity is caught into this thing. It's, um, you don't know if it's going to survive. And, and then you add in – and that's obviously on the – that's in addition to COVID. Then you add in um, an SVB bank run and it just kind of feels like not only is anything possible, but you better prepare for it happening in the next 12 months. Right. Um, pandemic, layoffs, uh, bank run completely changed funding environment it's uh yeah so that's the draining thing is just feeling for founders that um uh, maybe were a bit overextended or just building for a world in 2021 that they thought was going to continue for the next 10 years um and obviously is it's pulls apart 12 months later
1: yeah uh, tough uh environment and and these were the things that you know or outside uh, your control. And uh, James, I am going to order uh, Magic drink in India. I didn't know that. Magic Mind, yeah. Magic yeah, magicmind.com. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And James, thank you so much. I had so much fun. Thanks for doing it. I really appreciate that.
0: Of course, Shiva. Thank you so much for putting the podcast together. And uh, yes, yeah, there aren't too many podcasts dedicated to to people raising and running their own funds, uh, so I'm glad to be a part of it.
1: Thanks for sharing your wisdom. I'm sure uh, you know the audience would uh, get to learn a ton uh, from from what you uh, mentioned. Well, thanks for hosting,
0: and and I'll also I need to add thank you for carrying this flag of of investing in in India. I think it's going to be such a explosion of of value created for the entire world um, as India becomes another startup world power up there with the U.S. over the next decade or two.
1: And we are excited uh, to have you in India and investing, James. Uh, Really looking forward to, you know, investing together.
0: (laughs) Yep. And I, you know, I I need help spreading the word that I'm investing in India. So Shiva, hopefully this this episode, as well as anywhere you think that I need to, you know, shout from the mountaintops that uh, that I am so long on India. Um, maybe more than anyone I know. Uh, that's you know my cohort of of angels or solo capitalists. Um, let me know.